الحديث أسفا إنا جعلنا ما على الأرض زينة لها لنبلوهم أيهم أحسن عملا وإنا لجاعلون ما عليها صعيدا أم حسبت أن أصحاب الكهف كانوا من آياتنا عجبا إذا والفتية فقالوا ربنا آتنا من لدنك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا فضربنا على آذانهم في الكهف سنين عددا ثم بعثنا هم لنعلم أي الحزبين أحصى لما لبثوا أمدا نحن نقص عليك نباهم بالحق إنهم فتية آمنوا بربهم وزدناهم هدى وربطنا على قلوبهم إذ قاموا فقالوا ربنا رب السماوات والأرض لن ندعو من دونه لقد قلنا إذا شططا هؤلاء قوم اتخذوا من دونه آلهة لولا يأتون عليهم بسلطان بين فمن أظلم ممن افترى على الله كذبا وإذ اعتزلتموهم وما يعبدون إلا الله فأووا إلى الكهف ينشر لكم ربكم من رحمته ويهيئ لكم من أمركم مرفقا وترى الشمس إذا طلعت تزاور عن كهفهم ذات اليمين وإذا غربت تقيضهم ذات الشمال وهم في فجوة ذلك من آيات الله من يهدي الله فهو المهتد ومن يضلل فلن تجد له وليا مرشدا وتحسبهم أيقاظا وهم رقود ونقلبهم ذات اليمين وذات الشمال وكلبهم باسط ذراعيه لو اطلعت عليهم لوليت منهم فرارا ولملئت منهم رعبا وكذلك بعثناهم ليتساءلوا بينهم قال قائل منهم كم لبثتم قالوا لبثنا يوما او بعض يوم قالوا ربكم أعلم بما لبثتم فابعثوا أحدكم بورقكم هذه بورقكم هذه إلى المدينة فلينظر أيها أزكى طعاما فليأتكم برزق منه وليتلطف ولا يشعرن بكم أحدا إنهم إن يظهروا عليكم يرجموكم أو يعيدوكم في ملتهم ولن تفلحوا إذا أبدا وكذلك أعذرنا عليهم ليعلموا أن وعد الله حق وأن الساعة لا ريب فيها إذ 
يتنازعون بينهم أمرهم فقالوا ابنوا عليهم بنيانا ربهم أعلم بهم قال الذين غلبوا على أمرهم لنتخذن عليهم مسجدا سيقولون ثلاثة رابعهم كلبهم ويقولون خمسة سادسهم كلبهم رجما بالغيب ويقولون سبعة وثامنهم كلبهم قل ربي أعلم بعزتهم ما يعلمون إلا قليل فلا تمار فيهم إلا مراء ولا تقولن لشيء إني فاعل ذلك غدا إلا أن يشاء الله واذكر ربك إذا نسيت وقل عسى أن بأقرب من هذا رشدا ولبثوا في كهفهم ثلاث سنين وازدادوا تسعا قل الله اعلم بما لبثوا له غيب السماوات والارض ابصر به واسمع ما لهم من دونه من ولي ولا يشرك في حكمه احدا السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته الحمد لله حمد كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيك ما يحب ربنا ويرضى وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا thank you guys for joining me this afternoon ولله الحمد uh, we are approaching the ending of the best day of the week and that is the day of Jumu'ah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that there is a short window of time on the day of Jumu'ah on Friday that no servant is calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asking Allah for something except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it coincides with what is called Sa'atul Ijabah, the, the time where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is responding to supplications, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond uh, to that supplication. We hope that as a scholars, they have um, many opinions about when this time is. Some of the scholars say that it's the whole day of Jumu'ah. And that, that way we should make dua the whole entire day of Jumu'ah. Some scholars say that it's the time when the Imam sits down in between the two khutbahs. So when the Imam gives his first khutbah and then he sits down, that little space, that little window of time when he sits down. Some scholars say that the dua, the time for dua is within that time. And some scholars say that the time is at the last hours, the last hour right before Maghrib which is the time frame or the window that we are in right now. So we hope that this is the time, or the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, number one, first and foremost, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our sins. Oh Allah, we have wronged our own souls uh, by committing sins. And if you do not forgive us, right? If you do not forgive us and have mercy upon us, then indeed we will be from amongst the losers. All right? So that's number first and foremost. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his forgiveness. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his mercy. Allahumma rahmataka narju. 
ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرف عين وأصلح لنا شأننا كلها لا إله إلا أنت uh, Oh Allah, your mercy is what we hope for so do not leave us alone to ourselves not even for the time that it takes to blink our eyes Rectify for us all of our affairs and forgive us for our sins there is nothing deserving of worship except you Allahumma inna nas'aluka al-jannah wa ma qarraba ilayha min qawlin wa amal wa na'udhu bika min al-nari wa ma qarraba ilayha min qawlin wa amal O Allah, we ask you for paradise and what will bring us closer to paradise from statements and actions. And we seek refuge with you from the hellfire. Um, the, we seek refuge with you from the hellfire and what will bring us cl um, closer to it from statements and actions. So tonight, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to give um, a lecture, Friday night lecture, um, something that we used to do some time ago, but inshallah, since we are approaching Ramadan, uh, it's now time to kick into gear. And so you are going to see me online a little bit more um, now within the next few weeks because we are moving closer to Ramadan and this is the time that we should step up. This is not the time to be mediocre. Rather, this is the time to um, to go after that spiritual excellence, to exert ourselves, to push ourselves, to stay up a little later, to read more Quran, to read, you know, more books about Islam, to, you know, engage in more conversations that will help boost our iman, that will increase our faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now is the time to kick into gear. This is not the time to sit back, watch TV, go to the movies, hang out, you know, slacking in, in your in your Islam. Now is the time to step up. We have a week before Ramadan. This time next week, inshallah ta'ala, we will either be getting ready to pray Salatul Tarawih or we will be getting, getting ready to look forward to fasting um, within the next day or so. So we are roughly one week away from Ramadan. Now is the time. Do not wait until Ramadan comes in and say, all right, let me get myself together. All right. We want to get ourselves together now. All right. So tonight, um, along with the lecture, we are going to tonight, we'll start our, uh, our month long fundraiser, uh, Masjid Roda Islamic Center of Delaware. We are raising funds for our facility here in Newark, Delaware, inshallah ta'ala. Hopefully by Tuesday we will have a commute, we will have a facility locked in, inshallah. And we want to be able to pay for the facility outright without using any interest, inshallah ta'ala. We want to collect our goal for the month of Ramadan is to collect a hundred thousand dollars, which is a which is a drop in the bucket for many of us, uh, if we only knew. All right, and tonight will be the first night. In a month-long journey of us collecting funds for our community, so that we can purchase our building, so that any of you guys who live in the Delaware area, South Philly, uh, Philadelphia, South Jersey, Baltimore area, you have to pass through Delaware, whether you're going south or you're going north, then you can stop by and you can pray with us. You can join Jumu'ah with us. You can attend classes with us, inshallah ta'ala, and you can be a part of um, our community and ultimately a part of our legacy. So I have pinned both on Facebook as well as Instagram. I have pinned our cash app, which is the cash app sign, Roda Masjid. Please donate tonight, ta'ala. Dig deep, dig as far as your, your finances will allow you to. Surprise yourself. You know, in, in some instances, punish yourself. You know, if you feel like you've committed a sin, if you've done something wrong and you need to feel you know, you need to feel it, then donate, then give. One of the scholars, he said that I used to have a hard time backbiting people. And so I took an oath that every time I backbit someone that I would give sadaqah from my money. And because of my love 
of my money, I in eventually gave up backbiting people. One of the Sahaba, he was making salat in his garden, and in the middle of his salat, his eyes became fixated on a bird that was flying in and out of a tree. And in that moment, he forgot how many rakahs he prayed. And as a way of punishing himself after his salat was over, he took the guard and he told the Prophet Sallallahu take the guard and then give it away, sadaqah, do whatever you want to do with it. I'm giving it away as a punishment on myself, not just a punishment, but also as a, as a means of expiating or compensating for the loss uh, in that moment of being preoccupied with something other than Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is the way that the Sahaba reconciled their sins. This is the way that they reconciled their mistakes. So we want to follow in that same methodology. We want to follow in that same perspective, that same path. So if you know that there are things that you have done that you feel horrible about, you feel sinful, you feel shameful about, then give something away, sadaqah. Make yourself feel it. Feel it. So that at least you can say, oh, Allah, you know, I did this or I did that. But in lieu of doing that, I gave this. And it hurt because I really needed it. I really wanted it. But... I, I was willing to make that sacrifice to prove to you that I was sorry, all right? So we are going to be collecting funds. We do not have Zelle. We have PayPal and we have Cash App for now, all right? Our PayPal is uh, roll the Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. Roll the Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com, one word. Um, that is our PayPal. And our cash app is the cash app sign, Rola Masjid. Those are our two ways to donate. If you would like to write a check, you can write a check to Rola Islamic Center of Delaware, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, you can email me personally and I'll give you our PO box where you can mail it in if you would like to do it that way. If you would like to make a one lump sum donation, you can reach out to me, email me after this is over, and I'll send you a link where you can put in your um, donation and you can put the amount that you want and um, the account would, you know, it will take it directly from your bank account if that's the way that you want to do it. All right. All donations are appreciated. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. So let's take this journey. All right. So I want you guys to stay with me because tonight we're going to be talking about something very, very important, especially as we are moving into the month of Ramadan. All right. We'll be talking about forgiveness and pardoning, you know, and overlooking you know, and giving and being compassionate. All right. So I want you guys to follow along, inshallah, and then I will leave time for questions and answers afterwards. The human capacity for forgiveness and pardon is one of the most amazing features of our design as human beings. If you ever look, you know, at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wired us as human beings, how he programmed us, and our capacity for forgiveness and pardon. You will be amazed at some of the things that are done to human beings and their ability, their capacity to forgive despite the violations and the crimes that have been done against them. It is one of the most amazing things that I have ever seen, right? I've seen, you know, the clip, which I'm sure that most of you have seen the clip of the Muslim woman whose son was murdered and she went to the courtroom to confront, you know, the, 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 while the, the kid, the young kid who murdered her son uh, was being sentenced and they gave her an opportunity to talk. And she said, you know, I forgive you. You know, this was a black woman saying this to another young black man who is possibly spending the rest of his life in prison. And when given the opportunity to speak, she said that I forgive you. You know, I forgive you. I, I don't hold that against you. I forgive you. You know, 
and, and I pray for you, I make dua for you. You know, and it's just amazing that here this individual, you know, senselessly took the life of your child and you still had the capacity, you still had enough in you to forgive and to pardon and to overlook. It's amazing. Rather, this feature of pardoning and forgiving was built into our experience as human beings with the origin of our creation, considering the diversity of our personalities and our perspectives and our capacity for division, you know, and, you know, this divisive capacity that the, this capacity that we have to be divisive and to you know separate and divide and you know and destroy one another could you imagine what the world would be like if nobody forgave if nobody pardoned anybody if nobody forgave some of the most heinous crimes known to man are done in in today's time and given all of that could you imagine if we did not have the capacity for pardon and forgiving? I want you to listen to this ayat in Surah Tuhud, uh, in Surah number 11, ayat 118. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, and if you have your English translation of the Quran with you, I want you to pull it out and follow along because I'm going to give you some references. I'm going to give you some references, all right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, that if your Lord had willed, he would have made all of mankind one, meaning all having the same perspective, all having the same worldview, all having the same outlook on life. That if Allah had so willed, he could have made all human beings the same. So that shows us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inserted into our experience diversity, the diversity of our perspectives, the diversity of, you know, our personalities, all of these things that make us different is part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's design. This is the way that he designed it. He said, That if Allah had willed, he would have made all of mankind one. One nation, all dressing the same, all thinking the same. This is what they call, you know, group thinking, which is what creates cults or cult-like thinking and cult-like behavior where everybody has to think the same. Everybody has to see things the same way. And the moment you don't see it that way, then you're somehow ostracized or considered not a part of the group. Right. And, and for many of us in the African-American Muslim experience, we have experienced that firsthand what it's like, you know, what it's like to be a part of, you know, this group thinking that everybody has to think the same. Everybody has to see it the same way. And the moment you don't, you're somehow ostracized or you're somehow considered not a part of the group. But that's not the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it. Allah says that if Allah had willed, he would have made you all one kind. And then Allah says, And then Allah says, And mankind will never cease to differ with one another. 
They will never cease to differ in terms of their perspectives, in terms of their personalities, in terms of the things they like and they, they don't like, the things they don't agree with. They will never cease to remain differing and diverse in their perspectives. Except those small group upon whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mercy. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here that unification is a mercy. Unity in the way that we see things, there will be a small group of people that will always think alike and see things the same, and that is a mercy. So if you're married to someone and you guys kind of have the same perspectives about a lot of things, 99.7% of the time, you guys usually agree, you have an agreeable personality, you have an agreeable, you know, temperament, then that is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That mankind will never cease to differ except those upon whom Allah has mercy. Then Allah says, And it was because of this mercy, Allah created us. Allah created us to have mercy on us. Allah created us to have mercy on us. You guys following me? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to have mercy on us. And so without pardon, without forgiveness, our world would be filled with prolonged levels and extreme levels of hatred and revenge and volatility, emotions that ultimately contribute to the destruction and extermination of you know, any race or any group of people. So there's no wonder that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the last prophet and messenger with the qualities that reflect some of his very own qualities. One of such qualities is mercy. There is no wonder that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent his last prophet and messenger and with many of the qualities that reflect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qualities, but one quality of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that Allah tends to highlight a lot throughout the Quran is mercy. I'm going to give you a few ayats just to kind of show you that. There are few ayats in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tends to highlight the same quality about the Prophet Sallallahu over and over again. And one of those qualities is mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ in Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah number 21, at the last couple of ayats of Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah number 21, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu directly, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ And we did not send you, O Muhammad, إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ Except as a mercy for all of mankind, not just for Muslims, not just for Muslims, but for all of mankind. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the Prophet sallallahu for his lenient temperament with his companions and what it resulted in of, you know, harmony and cohesion and most importantly, unification. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, That it was from the mercy of Allah that you, O Muhammad, were lenient with your companions. So it was Allah's mercy on you to make you lenient with your companions. It was Allah's mercy on you for you to be merciful to your companions. فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ 
that it was by the, by the mercy of Allah that you were merciful and lenient with your companions. That if you were harsh and hard-hearted, they would have ran away from you. Because human beings don't usually incline towards those who show a lack of mercy, a lack of empathy, a lack of you know compassion. We usually gravitate towards those who show us compassion, mercy. Which is why, you know, this is the the what Shaitan offers in our periods of vulnerability. He'll send somebody our way or even come to us in the form of a human being that looks like they're showing mercy, they're showing compassion. But behind that mask is a devil, is a shaitan that seizes the opportunity, sees you when you're vulnerable, sees you when you're weak, and seizes the moment to take advantage of you. So when you are vulnerable, be mindful of those who come along in the cloak of mercy and compassion. Be mindful. Because it's not always mercy and compassion, you know, that you know that you see. Everything that glitters is not gold. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that if you were harsh and hard-hearted, then they would have ran away from you. Pardon your companions, and forgive them. Pardon them and forgive them. You cannot have any relationship without pardoning and forgiving. Any relationship that you are going to have, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a business uh, um, relationship, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. There has to be some level, some capacity for pardon and forgiveness. Otherwise, the relationship is going to be tense all the time you know, jolted by every pebble in the road. This is the person that has no compassion, no mercy, no capacity for it. Jolted by every single pebble in the road. Every little bump in the road is going to create this environment that is volatile, right? There has to be capacity for mercy and compassion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Forgive them, pardon them, and forgive them. And consult with them. That but when you make your decision, then put your trust in Allah, and indeed Allah loves those who put their trust in Him. So throughout his journey as a prophet, as a father, as a husband, as, as, a, as a citizen of both societies, Mecca and Medina, the Prophet ﷺ had his fair share of challenges that tested his capacity for mercy, compassion, and pardon. See, our character is not tested with how we treat the people that we are fond of. Our characters are tested with the people when they test our capacity for mercy, compassion, and pardon. Our character is tested with the people that we are not fond of. You guys follow me? Our capacity for pardon and forgiveness, that is the true test of our character. 
the true test of our character is not how you treat the people that you love. Because that's a given. You love them. So you you are always going to err on the side of compassion, mercy, pardon. But what about the people you don't love? What about the people you are not fond of? That is when your real test comes. So throughout his journey as a prophet, as a father, he had he was the Prophet Sallallahu was a man of many turbans. I don't say many hats because he didn't wear a hat, he wore turbans. He was a man of many turbans. He was a father. He was a prophet. He was a companion to his friends. He was a husband. He was a citizen living in society. He was a man of many turbans. And he had his fair share of challenges that tested his capacity for mercy, compassion, and pardon in each and every one of those situations. So we're gonna take a look at all four of those situations. We're gonna see him as a father. We're gonna see him as a companion. We're gonna see him as a husband. And we're gonna see him as a citizen living amongst people who were not Muslim. We're gonna take a look at him in those four different capacities and how his capacity for pardon and forgiveness was tested in each and every one of those situations. And then I want us to take a look at ourselves and look at how when we are in those same situations, do we have the capacity to forgive, pardon, and overlook? Do we have the capacity to do that? So let's take a look at his number one role, his role as a father. Let's take a look at Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's role as a father. Right? As a father, the Prophet ﷺ's capacity for pardon and you know compassion and overlooking and forgiveness was tested. Not necessarily with his own daughters, but with the husbands of his daughters. Pay attention. So as a father, when the Prophet ﷺ first received revelation, three of his daughters were already married. All right, he had four daughters in total. He had Zainab, who was his oldest. Then Ruqayya, who was the second oldest. Then Umm Kuthum, and then the baby who was Fatima al-Zahra. Fatima was the baby. So he had four daughters. So at the time that Angel Jibreel came down with the first revelation, Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. At the time that Angel Jibreel came down with Iqra, Three of his daughters were already married. Let's take a look at the first one, Zainab. Zainab, his oldest daughter, was married to a, name, a man by the name of Abu al-As ibn Rabi'ah. Abu al-As ibn Rabi'ah, who was actually her cousin. Actually her cousin. How was Abu al-As and the Prophet's daughter Zainab, how were they related? Because Khadija, Fatima's mother, um, Zainab's mother, the Prophet's wife, the first one to believe in him, uh, Khadija's sister, Hala, she was married to Rabi'ah. She was married to Rabi'ah. He was from the tribe of Bani Abdul Shams. She was married to Rabi'ah. And Rabi'ah and Hala gave birth to a number of children. One of them was Abu al As. 
And so Abul As was actually Zainab's cousin on her mother's side, not the father's side, because her mother's sister, Hala, Khadija's sister, was married to Rabi'ah. Rabi'ah and Hala had a son by the name of Abul As. Abul As married Zainab before the Prophet received revelation. And Abul As, he was traveling, he was on a journey at the time that the Prophet received revelation. So when Angel Jibreel came down to the Prophet with Iqra, Abul As was traveling. So when the Prophet, after his, his engagement with uh, Jibreel, he came home, ran home to his wife. Obviously, Khadija was the first one to believe in him. Then everybody in his house believed in him. Zainab, Um Kuthum, Ruqayya, Fatima, Ali bin Abi Talib, who was also living with the Prophet at the time, right? All of them believed in him, without a doubt. They never knew their father to be a liar, never knew their father to, you know, drink or do engage in any of these immoral acts. So they had no reason not to believe him. They had no reason not to believe him. However, when Abu As returned from his journey, Zainab and her husband had a conversation, a very uncomfortable conversation, because how does a woman go to her husband and say, I'm following the religion of my father. My father is a prophet. I mean, just picture you as a man, you go away on a journey and you come back, you and your wife were practicing a particular religion, and then you come back from your journey and your wife says, you know, I'm going to follow my father's religion because he's a prophet. You're like, you're crazy. Seriously? And he wasn't ready to handle that. And so he refused to accept Islam at the beginning. And eventually he fought against the Prophet ﷺ in the Battle of Badr. Zainab continued to live with him, and the Prophet ﷺ, he went to Medina. Second year after being in Medina, the issue with the caravan takes place. Abu Sufyan calls for backup. The army from Mecca, Quraysh, they come to uh, Medina or to the area called Badr, outside of Medina, to fight with the Muslims. From amongst the people who were fighting amongst the, the, the fighting Quraysh, fighting with Quraysh, fighting against the Prophet was Zainab's own husband, Abu As. This is his own son-in-law raising arms against him. Can you imagine? You marry your daughter to this guy, and now this guy is now trying to kill you. SubhanAllah. Here again, your capacity for mercy and compassion is being tested. Your own son-in-law raising arms against you, trying to kill you. However, as we know, 70 of Quraysh were killed in the Battle of Badr. So when news reached Mecca, because Zainab was still living in Mecca at the time, when news reached Mecca, first thing Zainab asked, Mashetnu Abi, what happened to my father? She's worried about her father. What happened to my father? So it was said to her in Tasara and Muslimun, the Muslims were victorious. Your father won, they beat. Then she said, well, Mashetnu Zoji. What happened to my husband? The second most important man in her life. What happened to my father? Your father won, Their Muslims are victorious. 
Now her fear is, if her father is victorious, then where does that leave my husband? Where does that leave the father of my children? Because Zainab and uh, Abu al-As, they had two children, the Prophet Sallallahu grandchildren. One was named Ali, the other, uh, a girl by the name of Umama. Umama was the girl the Prophet Sallallahu used to carry on his shoulders when he would come and make the salat, right? The hadith mentions that he would carry her on his shoulders. And then when he would go into Rukur, he would lift her off his shoulders and put her down. He would go into Rukur. He would come up from Rukur, pick her back up. And then when he would go into sujood, he would take her back off, put her on the, on the ground, and then go into sujood. This was Umama, his granddaughter, the daughter of uh, Zainab and Abu al-As. So when news reached Mecca, after the battle of Badr, Zainab's worried. She said, Mashetnu Abi, what happened to my father? They said, in Tasra, your father was victorious. He won. Now she's worried. Mashetnu Zoji, what happened to my husband? What happened to my husband? So they said, Asarrahu, Usira. He was, he was captured. So if you remember in the Battle of Badr, 70 from amongst Quraysh were killed and 70 were taken captive. You remember? If you're familiar with the story, 70 of Quraysh were killed and 70 were taken captive. From amongst the 70 that were taken captive was Zainab's husband, Abu al-As. Wait for it. Wait for it. What did the Prophet ﷺ, he asked Umar, what should we do with the 70 captives? And Umar said, we should kill every single one of them. No mercy. Umar's capacity for mercy and compassion was very limited at that time. Later on, he became, he grew, right? He evolved into becoming more compassionate and more merciful. So by the time he was the Khalifa, he had reached that pinnacle, all right? It may seem like men have a more delayed, you know, evolution when it comes to, you know, grappling with these type of emotions, compassion and mercy and pardoning and understanding, you know, perhaps because that's part of the nature of being a man and just our defense mechanisms, you know, we are coming from or evolving from a hunter-gatherer type of environment. So men's capacity for compassion and mercy, you know, has been stifled to some degree because we haven't really had a chance to actually nurture that. We don't, we don't grow up in environments where capacity, uh, our capacity for mer mercy, compassion, pardon is nurtured. We're usually taught the opposite. We're usually taught the opposite, to be unforgiving, you know, to be unforgiving, to be non-compromising. You know, this is, you know, because that is what makes you a man, you know. This is unfortunately how we're cultured as, as young boys, especially African-American especially with street culture that teaches us that being merciful, being compassionate, even as it relates to our spouses, is somehow a, a, a weakness, right? And we got to take our hawk, you know, 100% with no shorts, because the moment you give a person any little inkling that there's some mercy and compassion there, then perhaps the fear is that that person is going to take advantage of you. And one thing that we have to understand as men is that when you are comfortable, 
it within yourself, nobody can take advantage of you. You can only do to me what I allow you to do. So for me, it's mercy. To you, you think you're getting over on me. You're not getting over on me. I'm extending you that because I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable. And I'm comfortable with the boundaries. I'm comfortable with the boundaries. So I set boundaries. And then when you cross that boundary, then and only then will I begin to withdraw and pull back. But I let you, you know, get to my threshold. And that's only with a person that's comfortable within themselves. So a lot of people, they scheme, they plot, and, you know, they wiggle their way around, they finagle their way, thinking that they're getting over on you. You're not getting over on me. I'm allowing you space to hang yourself. I'm giving you that. You're not getting over on me. You think that you're getting over me because you come from a hunter-gatherer society where you're constantly in survival mode. So for you, everything is a hustle. Everything is hustle and bustle. Everything is trying to get over. Everything is trying to get by because you're in survival mode. I'm not in survival mode. So I give you a little room wherein you can't necessarily hurt me, but you end up hurting yourself because once I see you for who you are, I don't mistake you for who you are. Once I see you for who you are, I don't mistake you for who you are. When people show you who they are, who they are, believe them the first time. I saw you. I got it. Check. Duly noted. So Abu Laas is taken captive. He's amongst the 70 captives after the Battle of Badr. So the Prophet ﷺ goes to Umar and says, what should we do with these 70 captives? Umar said, wallahi, we should kill every single one of them. Every single one of them. The Prophet ﷺ, here again, his capacity for mercy and compassion. No, nah, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill anybody. So he goes to Abu Bakr, who has a, a, a long range. His capacity for mercy and forgiveness and pardon was it was tested as well. When Mislah uh, engaged in the slander of Aisha, and what did Abu Bakr say? He said, Wallahi, I'll never give you another dinar sadaqah. He used to give his cousin um, sadaqah because he was poor. And when uh, the, the slander started about Aisha, he engaged in it. He got caught up in it. He got caught up in it. And Abu Bakr's capacity for mercy and compassion was tested. And Abu Bakr said, Wallahi, I will never forgive you. I will never forgive you. And I will never give you another dinar sadaqah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayat in Surah Al-Nur, Surah number 24. Pardon and overlook. Don't you want Allah to pardon and forgive you? Don't you want Allah to forgive you? And Abu Bakr said, e Wallahi, I swear by Allah, I will want nothing more than for Allah to forgive me. And so he forgave Mislah and he continued to give him sadaqah. He said, Wallahi, I will never deny you another dinar sadaqah. So he was corrected. But his capacity for mercy and compassion was tested. Every single one of us are going to be tested. Every single one of us are going to be confronted with situations that are going to test our capacity for mercy, compassion, pardon. Forgiveness. So the Prophet ﷺ goes to Abu Bakr and says, what should we do with these 70 captives? And Abu Bakr said, we should let every single one of them earn their freedom. If, they can, if their freedom cannot be purchased by their families, 
If their family members cannot put something up to purchase their freedom, then they should teach 10 Muslims how to read and write and earn their freedom. That's the deal. And keep in mind, the whole reason that the Muslims were fighting during the Battle of Badr was not because they wanted to go to war, was because Quraysh took all of their belongings and was going up to the area of Damascus to go, to go sell their stuff. To go sell their stuff. They're doing business and trading with their stuff. So on the way back from Damascus, the caravan is on his way back from Damascus heading towards Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba, it wouldn't be a bad idea if you go seize the caravan and get your stuff. It's yours. Go get it. Don't let nobody take nothing from you. And so when the Muslims went to go seize the caravan, then that is when Abu Sufyan called for backup from Mecca. And that's how the battle started. So the Muslims end up conquering winning at the Battle of Badr, getting the merchandise from the caravan, and on top of that, taking captives of war and making them purchase their freedom. So they even got more. SubhanAllah. So the Prophet ﷺ decided to go with Abu Bakr's position. And that was let them either purchase, ransom their freedom, ransom themselves. Their family members can send money to purchase them. Uh, to free them, or they can teach 10 Muslims how to read and write. So what does Zainab do? This is the love of a wife or a husband, despite the fact that he is rebellious, despite the fact that he didn't want to believe, and despite the fact that he went to war against her own father. Love conquers all. <laughs> love conquers all. Zainab, what does she do? She wore a necklace around her neck. That was given to her by her mother, Khadija. At this time, Khadija is deceased. This Khadija is, is deceased. But Khadija, much like any woman, leaves behind you know, something that has sentimental value to her daughter. She gave Zainab, who was the oldest daughter, gave her a necklace. Zainab takes the necklace off of her neck, gold necklace. And she sends the necklace to Medina. Sends the necklace to Medina to go purchase her husband's freedom. SubhanAllah. To purchase her husband's freedom. Even though her husband was rebellious, did not want to believe in Islam, and fought against her father, tried to kill her father. But she took the necklace when she heard that her husband was captured and they were asking for ransom. She took the necklace off of her neck that was given to her by her mother and she sent the necklace to Medina to free her husband. SubhanAllah. Here's the kicker. So as people are walking up, giving the Prophet وسلم, you know, money to free their family members, a man walked up with a necklace from Zainab and gave it to the Prophet ﷺ. Didn't say who it was from or anything. So the Prophet ﷺ said, The Prophet ﷺ said, this necklace is a ransom for who? Who are you trying to free with this necklace? Kalu, هَذَا لِعَبِعَاسِ that necklace is to free Abu al-As. 
Abu al-As ibn Rabi'ah. The Prophet looked at the necklace. The Prophet looked at the necklace. He started crying. The Prophet looked at the necklace and started crying. Why did he start crying? Because he recognized the necklace. The necklace belonged to his wife Khadija, who gave it to his daughter. Subhanallah. فَبَكَى النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَقَالَ هَذَا عِكْتُهُ خَدِيجَ The Prophet ﷺ said, this is Khadija's necklace. It's my wife's necklace, man. SubhanAllah. So he knew where it came from. And then he asked the Sahaba, as respect for the Sahaba, he asked the Sahaba if they would accept the necklace as a ransom for Abu al-As's freedom and return him to Mecca along with the necklace. The Prophet ﷺ didn't step up and say, this is my wife's necklace, I'm taking this. No, you're not getting this. He respected the game. He, respect, he respected the protocols of war. It was given as a ransom. Even if it was from his daughter, he still did not have a right because his wife ultimately gave that necklace to her daughter. He didn't have a right to intercede and say, no, this is my wife's necklace. He respected the game. He respected the protocols of war. He asked the Sahaba, will you accept this necklace as a ransom for Abu As? The Sahaba said, yes. The Prophet ﷺ said, will you do me another favor and return the necklace back to Mecca to the owner? Because the Prophet knew who it belonged to. And the Sahaba agreed. He never even had to expose to them in a, in, a, in a state of vulnerability. He never had to expose to them, you know, why the necklace was important to him. He just asked them, would you give the necklace back to the person who gave it as a ransom? The Sahaba agreed with it. Then the Prophet ﷺ told Abu al-As as he was freeing him, he said, Inna Allah amrani an ufarriq bayna muslima wa kafir. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered me to separate the Muslim woman from a disbeliever. You cannot, you can go back to Mecca, but you cannot live with my daughter. So when you return to Mecca, you send my daughter to Medina. That is the condition. I'm going to free you. I'm going to let you go. But I'm going to free you with the condition that number one, you go back to Mecca, you give this necklace back to my daughter, and you send my daughter to Medina with me. Because it is haram for you as a disbeliever to live with my daughter. And this was based upon the ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu, idha ja'akum al-mu'minat muhajirat famtahinuhunna, Allahu a'lamu bi imanihinna, fa in alimtumuhunna mu'minat, fala tarji'uhunna ila al-kuffar. La hunna hillu lahum, wala hum yahilluna lahum. The ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Mumtahina, O oh, you who believe, if there come to you believing women that have migrated from Mecca to Medina, then test them before you embrace them, before you accept them into your ranks, test them to see if they're really believers. And Allah knows best whether or not they really believe. And if you see, if you know, if you acknowledge that they are actually Muslims, then do not return them back to their disbelieving husbands because the disbelieving man is not permissible for a believing woman 
nor is the believing woman permissible for a disbelieving man. And I want you guys to understand that. This ayat made it haram for a Muslim woman to be married to a man that is not Muslim. And so it was based upon this ayat, the Prophet ﷺ separated his daughter, Zainab, from her husband, Abu Aras. Eventually, and I get it in today's time, there are many Muslim women who totally disregard this. They believe that they can find good in a non-Muslim man because and for some reason they believe that Muslim Muslim men in the Muslim community are no good or they're not enough Muslim men. You know, they don't want to be in polygyny. They don't want to, you know, deal with the hassle that comes along with being married to a Muslim man. They don't want to go through the protocols or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, it is haram. It is impermissible for a Muslim woman to be married or to be with in any capacity, sexually or otherwise, with a non-Muslim man. It's haram. Which means that even if they get married legally, Islamically, it is still considered fornication. Islam does not acknowledge that as a marriage. Islam does not acknowledge that as a marriage. You would be better off doing what Um Sulaim did, and that was that when Abu Talha proposed to her, she said to him, a man of your stature should never be rejected when he asks for a woman's hand in marriage. But there's one problem. You are a disbelieving man and I am a believing woman and it is not permissible for me to be with someone like you. But if you take your shahada, you become Muslim, I will accept your Islam as my dowry and I won't ask you for anything else. What do you think Abu Talha did? He said, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, and she married. Obviously he said it because he wanted to be with her, but also because there's another part of that conversation that we don't usually talk about, and that is where she began to introduce him to Tawheed. She began to challenge him on shirk and why he is worshiping idols. And eventually he got the point. We don't usually talk about that portion of the conversation, but that portion of the conversation did take place. I mentioned it, I mentioned it in my book, The Paradox of Change, shameless uh, plug. Shameless plug. Nonetheless, the whole entire story I mentioned in the book, The Paradox of Change, The New Muslim's Guide um, you know, to Islam. Um, so you can see that whole conversation there in that book. So that was Zainab, right, and her marriage to Abu al-As. Abu al-As eventually converted to Islam. All right. He eventually, some time later, he converted to Islam and uh the Prophet ﷺ told Zainab, go home to your husband, which means that they were still married, although they were separated. So if a Muslim woman a Muslim woman, a woman converts to Islam and her husband doesn't, she doesn't necessarily need to get a divorce from him and separate from him initially, but she should separate from him, giving him time to consider his options. And if he takes shahada and become Muslim, they do not have to get remarried. Because Islam does recognize the marriage by the state, non-Muslim state. And if both of them convert to Islam, they do not have to do their marriage over. Islam does recognize marriage. The Prophet ﷺ did not make Zainab and her husband Abu As remarry. Okay? Then there was Um Kathum and Ruqayya. Here again, the Prophet ﷺ is being tested as a father. His capacity for mercy and compassion. Uh, was tested. So with Abu al-As, 
he was tested. This guy raised arms against him, you know, fought against him, you know, still married to his daughter. And later on, he converts to Islam and the Prophet ﷺ has to embrace him as an equal, has to embrace him as a Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ embraced him, never held him again, never held him on the charges of, you know, raising arms against him, never, you know, looked at him any differently other than the fact that he is the father of his grandchildren, he is the husband of his daughter, and he is now his brother in Islam. You understand? You're tested. In that moment when Abu Az converted to Islam, the Prophet ﷺ was tested. Because now you got to see this guy as your brother in Islam. Then there was Umm Kuthum and Ruqayya, who were both married to the sons of Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab, right? Tabat yada Abi Lahab watab. Right? Abu Lahab's sons, <coughs> he had two sons, Utba and uh, Utayba. Utba and Utayba. And both of his sons were married to the Prophet's daughter, his daughters, Ruqayya and Umm Kuthum. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah, Tabat yada Abi Lahab watab, cursed be the hands of Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab commanded his sons to divorce the daughters of the Prophet as a way to smite him, as a way of, you know, embarrassing him and humiliating him. Divorce was still seen as, you know, a horrible thing, even amongst those in Meccan society. He commanded his sons to divorce the two daughters of the Prophet Even Ali bin Abi Talib anhu, tested the Prophet's capacity for mercy and compassion. The Prophet married his youngest daughter, Fatima, his baby girl, married his youngest daughter to Ali bin Abi Talib. And a little bit after his marriage to Fatima, the Prophet got wind, got word that Ali bin Abi Talib was looking to go into polygyny. about to test the Prophet's compassion for mercy, his capacity for mercy. Ali bin Abi Talib decides to get married into polygyny. Now, marrying into polygyny wasn't the issue. It was who he's marrying. Sometimes it's the who, not the what, of polygyny. It's not that you are going into polygyny. It's the person that you are marrying into polygyny. So sometimes when a woman takes issue with her husband taking on another wife, sometimes we chalk it up as her being jealous. Sometimes we chalk it up as her, you know, not being able to handle it, blah, 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 to the end of it. But sometimes it's not the polygyny that's the problem. It's the who you are marrying that becomes the problem. You understand? And this is, you know, for brothers to understand that. Take into consideration what your wife is trying to tell you. That doesn't mean that you have to follow you know, her in her advice, but at least take it into consideration. She may have a valid point, but because you can't see beyond, you know, your perspective of her just being jealous in that moment, you can't see beyond that, you miss the wisdom. You miss the wisdom. That's your wife is your rib. <laughs> She's your muse. <laughs> She's your rib. She's trying to give you some good advice, but we can't see beyond our narrow perspective that, oh, you're just jealous. 
All right, yes, she is jealous, but that does not invalidate the advice that she's giving. You understand? That does not invalidate the advice that she's giving you. She's telling you no, any woman but her. And in our minds, we think, oh, you're trying to control my decision. Oh, you're trying to control me. Oh, this is your last little angle, you know, to try to control the situation. Oh, you, you know, you're just jealous. Nah, she might be jealous. And she might be trying to have a little bit of control over the situation. That does not invalidate the advice that she gave you. She told you anybody but her. And lo and behold, you marry her. And then you're wishing that you had married anybody but her. You're wishing that you had married anybody but her, but you didn't take the advice because you couldn't see beyond that narrow view. All right, so it's very important. So Fatima, she gets wind that uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib is about to marry the daughter of Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl's daughter, Jamila, converted to Islam. Muslim, she converts to Islam. And Ali ibn Abi Talib wants to marry her. Now, how would that look in polygyny? That a man is married to the daughter of the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then he turns around and marries the daughter of the Fir'aun of our Ummah, Abu Jahl. The one who is responsible for killing Sumayya and her husband. The one who is responsible for, you know, so much atrocity, so many atrocities at the early stages of Islam, right? And you're going to go and marry his daughter, even though she's Muslim. And here again, this is another issue in especially the African-American Muslim community. We think that just because you're Muslim, that just excuses everything else. Well, the person is Muslim. It's like, yeah, they're Muslim, but you're still not looking at the principle. I'll give you an example. I found it very strange in Islam that a man can divorce his wife and another brother who prays alongside of him, who's cool with him, made Umrah with him, made Hajj with him, sit in the masjid and learn alongside of him, go out to eat and, you know, after Jumu'ah and hang out together, go shopping for thobes together and do all of these things together that you would turn around and marry this brother's ex-wife. And then we'll say, well, it's permissible Islamically, it's permissible. Yeah, but you're still overlooking the principle. The principle is that that is supposed to be your friend. That is supposed to be your man. That is supposed to be your companion. How are you okay with that? I'm, I am just floored by this, this thinking. I am floored by this thinking and the justification that we use to validate it. <laughs> well, it's not haram. Yeah, well, there's tons of things. It's not haram to eat. Um, lizard, but you don't eat that either. <laughs> it's not haram to do a lot of things in Islam. I don't see you rushing to do that either. But we'll say, well, it's not haram. That's your man. You play with his children. Now he got to come pick his kids up from your house. When is that ever okay? Subhanallah, really? I don't know, man. And some some guys are okay with that, man. 
It was not about polygyny. It's the principle. It's the principle. Don't say it doesn't have validity because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he confronted Ali ibn Abi Talib. Listen to what he said to Ali. He said, in the Bani Hisham, Ibn Mughira, istadhanu an yankihu ibnatahum Ali ibn Abi Talib. Fala adhan, la adhan, la adhan, thumma la adhan. Illa an yuhibba ibn Abi Talib an yutallik ibnati wa yankih ibnatahum. The Prophet وسلم, he said that Bani Hisham, this was the tribe that of Jamila was from, right? The daughter of Abu Jahl. He said, Bani Hisham, Ibn Mughira, their tribe is now asking that Ali ibn Abi Talib marry their daughter, meaning the daughter from their tribe, meaning the daughter of Abu Jahl. The tribe of Bani Hisham is asking that Ali ibn Abi Talib marry their daughter. He said, I do not permit it. But in la adin, I do not permit it. I do not permit it. I do not permit it. This is the fathers whose capacity for forgiveness and mercy and pardon is being tested in that moment. He said, I do not permit it. I do not permit it. I do not permit it. Unless Ali ibn Abi Talib divorces my daughter and then he's free to marry the daughter of uh, Abu Jahl. He said, Fatima is a part of me. In the Ibnati, Fatima bid'atu minni. He said, Fatima is part of me. It's my daughter, my baby girl. She is a part of me. And what hurts her, hurts me. What hurts her, hurts me. So I don't permit it. I don't permit it. I don't permit it. He said to Ali ibn Abi Talib, He said that I am not making something haram that Allah made halal. He said, but wallahi la tajtami' binta Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa binta aduwillah makanin wahidan abadan. He said, I am not making something haram that Allah made halal. He said, but the daughter of the messenger of Allah and the daughter of the enemy of Allah will not be united in the marriage to the same man ever. Never. You understand? And subhanAllah, this was not only mercy for his daughter, but this was also mercy for Ali. And it was also mercy for Jamila, the daughter of Abu Jahl, who would have paled in comparison to the love that Ali had for Fatima. She would have paled. It would have been torture for her to be in that marriage, knowing how Ali, anhu loved Fatima. She would pale in comparison. You understand? SubhanAllah. This is the Prophet's capacity for mercy, compassion, and pardon tested as a father. As a father. So we're going to break for Salatul Maqrib, inshallah ta'ala, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk uh, uh, about the next capacity, which is his capacity to be a companion, to be uh, a friend. His capacity for mercy and compassion was tested as a friend. And we all have friends. We all have relationships with people that we consider friends. 
but your friendships will be tested. Friends are going to violate you. Friends are going to do things, you know, friends are going to do things that are going to overstep certain boundaries with you. And they're going to test your compassion, your, your capacity for forgiveness and mercy, compassion. And in that moment, you got to look, you know, you're being tested in that moment. And how do you fare? How do you handle that? Do you just cut the person off and just keep it pushing? Or do you challenge yourself to understand that we're human beings, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to cross certain boundaries? You understand? So here again, this is um, a Friday night lecture, which is also a fundraiser for uh, Rolla Islamic Center of Delaware. I have pinned our cash app here on Facebook as well as Instagram Live. Rolla, the, the cash app sign, Rolla Masjid. Please, uh, before we log off for our first session, please donate, inshallah ta'ala, $500. $1,000, $200, $250. If four people can get together, donate $250, that's $1,000. If one person can donate $1,000, if another person can donate $200, much appreciated. We want to see if we can collect with within the next few moments before we log off $1,000. Can I get 10 people to donate $100? 10 people to donate $100 so we can log off and then we'll come back, inshallah ta'ala, in 30 minutes uh, and we'll start the second part of this. I, I can do this all night. I will be doing this all night. I am that committed to my community. I am that committed to finishing what we started, of building a masjid, building a community. I'm that committed. Can I get four people to donate, a hundred? Uh, um, 10 people to donate $100? Okay, alhamdulillah, we got one. Sister Taliba, mashallah. You can go ahead and hit the cash app or you can email me if there's a particular way that you would like to do it. Or you can use PayPal, inshallah. That's one. We need nine more people to donate $100 to roll the Islamic Center of Delaware. Come on, y'all. Ramadan is right around the corner, man. Dig deep. The Hassanat are multiplied many more times over when you really don't have it like that. When you look in your bank account and you say, well, I don't really have it, you know, and you donate, then that's when it, that's when it counts. Alhamdulillah, Sister Francine, she says she got 200. Uh, just tell her 100. Yes, Alhamdulillah, I appreciate it. Another one. The PayPal is Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. Rolda, R A W D A H, Rolda uh, Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. Alhamdulillah, Sister Amanda, I appreciate that. Alhamdulillah. Great way to start before Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of your donations and put barakah in it. Ameen, Ameen. Say Ameen. Maghrib is coming in. Uh, Maghrib is actually in, inshallah ta'ala, and we want all of the barakah that we can get. And don't forget about um, uh, um, humbly assisting humanities uh, pre-Ramadan luncheon and fundraiser tomorrow in Wilmington, Delaware at Meshul al-Kawthorpe. I will be there. Sister Kashmir Medium will be there. Um, Sister Latifa will be uh, also there. Ustada Latifa will also be there, inshallah ta'ala. If you're in the area, we have vendors. I think the vendors is uh, packed out. 
Also, if you are in the area, inshallah ta'ala, come through, come through, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, brother Khalik, may Allah reward you. Jazakallah khair. I have cash. We'll have to go to the bank, inshallah ta'ala. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. All right, so here's the deal. I'm going to log off. I'm going to pray Maghrib, and I'll be back on at 8 o'clock. It is 7.30 now, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, Sister Akila, Muhammad, Jazakallah khaira. We I appreciate it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. Uh, we need some we need some heavy hitters, donators, a thousand dollars. Is there anybody here who can donate a thousand dollars? Five thousand dollars. We we asking for you know the smaller amounts, and I think that that's great, but I don't want to pass over those who can you know write checks for some you know substantial amounts. Uh Yamin Allah. You can donate a thousand dollars. Allahu Akbar. Hassan Clay, mashallah, big pimpin', donating three hundred dollars. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you generously. May Allah be generous to you as you are generous to us. Jazakallah khaira. Much appreciated. Big pimpin' in the building. Hassan Clay, mashallah. Donate uh three hundred dollars. Alhamdulillah. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Alhamdulillah. Um, so inshallah ta'ala, we're going to sign off. You can go ahead and um, send that over to the cash app, inshallah. And as we are continuing, inshallah, I'll keep you guys posted as it relates to how much we have collected. Tonight is just the first night of many nights, inshallah ta'ala. We will be doing fundraising for uh, Rolla Islamic Center of Delaware. You guys are appreciated greatly, immensely. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala place it in your scales of good on the day that you are going to need it the most. It's 7.28, inshallah ta'ala. I'll log back on at 8 o'clock and we'll pick up for the next session, the next part of our discussion, and that is our capacity for mercy, compassion, and pardon. If you look at the Prophet Sallallahu the first example that I gave, that is his capacity for forgiveness, mercy, and compassion as a father. And for those of us that are men that are listening, whether you have already been in this situation where you have been tested with your son-in-law, tested with your daughter, you are going to be tested as a father. You are going to be tested as a father. And your capacity for mercy, compassion, and pardon is going to be tested. And so now you have a backdrop. Now you have a blueprint for how the Prophet Wasallam, as a father was tested. You can donate using the Cash App. It's already pinned right here. The Cash App sign, roll the masjid, R-A-W-D-A-H, masjid. Or you can use PayPal, uh, roll the Islamic Center of Delaware. So our next capacity, we're going to look at the Prophet ﷺ in the capacity of a friend. And how as a friend in our friendships with other people, we can be tested. We can be tested. All right, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll start uh, we'll start back up at 8 o'clock. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Tasleemin kathira wa akhiru da'wana. An alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. For those of you on Zoom, I will open the Zoom back up at 8, inshallah ta'ala. And we will keep this going. All right. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.